Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. This is Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guests today are Meg and Josiah Mothershed. Meg and Josiah, welcome to the show. Hi, great to be here. Thanks for having us. Love having you two on. We're going to talk about logo design as well as their entrepreneurial journey. So um, it's going to be a great conversation. We have an interesting story about how they became or got to rather starting their own firm. And then, like I said, we're going to dive into what makes a good logo for our small business. If you want to receive more information about the How of Business, including links to the show notes pages for this and other episodes, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So let me tell you about Meg and Josiah. They founded Mothershed Design Company in 2018. Uh, It's a graphic design firm that helps businesses succeed through strategic design, clear communication, and effective execution. This is how they describe each other. Let's, Let's start with Josiah anyway. Josiah is the big picture thinker creativity conductor, and all-around design wizard. That's from their website. Love that. After working for in-house teams as well as larger agencies, Josiah felt uh, that there was something else calling him. Working one-on-one with business owners to set and meet their goals was where he felt most alive and realized that the best way to serve his clients was to gain the insight and flexibility of owning his own business. He believes that design is truly his calling and has enabled him to forge meaningful relationships with like-minded clients and friends. Meg, as she describes herself, Meg is the minutia manager, the strategy guru, and problem-solving bundle of energy. (laughs) Love that as well. Uh, Meg focuses uh, in the development and operations of the business while bringing her love for details and design to specialize in layout and illustration. Meg contributes a strong, strong organization, expert strategy, and excellent communication skills to Mothershed Design Company. Design and entrepreneurship are Meg's passions in life, and combining them allows her to work directly with clients to help their businesses succeed. So Meg and Josiah live in the Denver, Colorado area, and so Meg and Josiah Mothershed, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Great to have you guys. Um, I want to start with uh, where we usually start, which is the entrepreneurial journey. So yeah. I'm hoping you can each take a turn briefly and, and tell me about your early careers leading up to stud- starting Mothershed, but we'll kind of touch that separately. So tell me what you guys were doing right before, uh, well, back and then up to what led to start- starting Mothershed. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'll jump in first, just since you kind of mentioned me, uh, you know, and I did get to start the business. Um, But yeah, so I graduated college with a a BFA in graphic design, Uh, went straight to work for a small uh, design and marketing agency for about four years. And, uh, you know, that's really where I got kind of the my feet on the ground and got a ton of of really good experience, uh, a lot of versatile uh, variety of experience and um, a lot of different clients. But, you know, after four years, the, the agency uh, model is either great for you or it can kind of wear you down. And, and I was kind of the latter. So uh, eventually after that time, I just wanted something different. And so, you know, just thinking about what do I do? Do I try in-house? Do I move on? 
uh, do I do my own thing? Um, you know, I thought about what I really wanted and what I really loved the most about uh, my agency time was that I got to work with most of my clients directly mm. and I was actually handling the work uh, myself, which is honestly kind of unusual in an agency environment. Uh, you know, there's more, more layers. Um, but so I really love working directly with them and handling the work. And so I thought, well, that seems to be the natural fit. Then I can do that myself since I'm kind of already doing it. So uh, that's when I decided to to kind of take the plunge. Um, but yeah, it was all those experiences that led me there to to kind of the confidence level that I needed to uh, to realize I wanted to do it myself. What were some of those things, Josiah, in that environment that? that just kept rubbing you the wrong way. Now, Martin, I'm not talking about specific people or situations. What was it that just started getting to a point that you couldn't do it anymore? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, part of it is kind of the the tiers and layers that come with uh, an agency. And, you know, a lot of times that's for good reason. Uh, but a lot of our client base was our client base now, small businesses or startups. And uh, the relationships that I had there were so personal that um, honestly, I kind of felt like uh, some of the layers were a little bit unnecessary when I was just kind of getting to know them, emailing them one-on-one, -on -one, doing the work. And so uh, it just seemed like uh, that all of the agency environment might not be as necessary as just kind of me working one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. So it was creating kind of barriers between you and the client that you felt just weren't necessary. Is that what I'm gathering? Yeah, I felt so. Yeah. Um, and, and that happens in the corporate world as well. And, and so that for mm -hmm. you, was it because then you thought that held you back from having the most impact or delivering the most value for your clients sometimes? Yeah, I think so. Um, and, you know, also as, as you read in my bio there is that, you know, I kind of wanted to, I'm very interested in understanding the mindset of our clients and, you know, it just helps me be a better designer. And so that's kind of also what I felt was missing was kind of, you know, what is it like to own your own business? What is it like to be in that position? What is that, what is that mindset? And I knew that would kind of change my perspective. And so, yeah, kind of being in an agency uh, is in the same sense as a corporate environment, you know, it's kind of much different than maybe your clients or a small business is going to be approaching you. And so I felt like the longer I stayed there, uh, you know, it wasn't really helping me understand my clients more, which was pretty much paramount for me. Yeah. Now, what about, you know, the, the one side of it, though, is that when you're in an agency or in a corporate environment, there's somebody else that takes care of, for example, collecting the money. You know, sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes for a creative person, I don't want to have that conversation. Did you think through that? that okay, well, now I have to do all of that, the fun stuff and the not so fun stuff. I, I did. Yeah, there was, uh, you know, as I said, I had a lot of autonomy at the, the agency that I was at. But um, yeah, there were still a, a few add ons that ended up turning into a ton of add ons, as any business owner will realize when they start. Uh, and so, yeah, that was definitely um, there was a, a couple areas with the learning curve and you have to get a little bit tougher in some places, especially as a creative. What did you fear the most um, in making that transition to starting your own firm? Uh, definitely the the lack of security. I mean, that's kind of the the number one fear that so many podcasts, books are dedicated to, especially for you know uh, designers trying to decide, you know, do you take the plunge, go freelance? You know, really the biggest biggest holdup is that fear of of the loss of the paycheck coming regularly. Uh, so that was definitely uh, in my mind. 
what would have been the worst case scenario if if you had started the firm and you know you went through all your cash six months later or whatever period of time and you had to shut it down? What would have happened then? Uh, well, worst case scenario for me was uh, probably getting another job, especially after I uh, struck out because you know once you have that level of freedom, it's you know there's a reason everybody's afraid uh, to to leave that, but there's also a reason why uh, it's so rewarding and it's just the the freedom and the luxuries that you get when you are on your own. So after I'd gotten a little taste of that, right, it, it, it's it's really um, really enjoyable and and really rewarding all the the freedom combined with the hard work. So that was definitely worst case, you know, and, and obviously just a little bit of fear of failure too. Yeah. The embarrassment of failure. I think that's, that's exactly. often the, the biggest one for, for most of us. Yeah. That was definitely there. Yeah. Now, uh, were you and Meg together at that time? We were. So okay. uh, a big factor in me kind of uh, ending up taking the plunge is right around we got when we got married. Uh, so we had been dating and then uh, Meg was graduating and, and planning on getting work. And I was already at the agency and we had started talking about kind of, you know, I was ready for something different. Uh, and so thankfully we had been together through all that. And it was really only, the, you know, being in a relationship that was really strong and committed that uh, was kind of uh, replaced that stability for me of the job. So it was, uh, yeah, we were definitely together and that was kind of a big, big factor in me. Actually sure. Taking sure. I mean, you were, you were able to depend on her income as well. So that helped the transition. Is that, is that correct? Or was Definitely. she not? Okay. Cause she was already working. We'll get to Meg here in a moment, but she was already yeah. working. Is that right? But, but so you got married, how long between the time you got married and you opened the, the agency? Like three months. <laughs> oh my God. You didn't buy a house also, right? Under those three things that give you a heart attack. Yeah. You know, I bought a house, had a couple uh, babies no. uh, right away at the same time. Uh, no, thankfully we, we waited. That was the big one. Yeah. This was enough of a, a oh, plunge. Uh, that was your baby. Yeah. As Meg chimed in very, very sudden for, for her as well. <laughs> All right, Meg. So tell us about your uh, early career. How long were you working before you joined Josiah in the, in the agency? How long of a period of time were we talking about there? Um, I worked at the, I worked at, at in-house for about two and a half years. So okay. the business had been in business for about two years. Yep. So for you, Meg, did you always feel like you wanted to have your own agency someday? Was that something that you thought about back in school? No, um, I really didn't. I did do a brief internship at an agency and knew it was just not the right fit for me. However, I have wanted to own my own business since I was six years old. So Okay. All right. So you did have that entrepreneurial desire, right? Yes, absolutely. What, what, what was it back then that you thought you would get out of being your own boss? I think honestly just the control and just being able to, I like wearing all of the hats. I mean, I think there's definitely a negative side to that as well, but I like being able to do a lot of different things, not just the one thing that is your job in a typical job. Like I like and really enjoy um, just doing a lot of different things and having that constant learning um, is a big pro for me in being an entrepreneur. Yeah, I love that. I think that resonates, certainly resonates with me and with a lot of people listening because you touch on two key things, that control, that was a big one for me. Mm -hmm. Somebody else not dictating what I can or can't do or how far I can go or what my value is. But then you touched on something which was critical. We were chatting about it with Josiah a minute ago is you have to be willing when you, certainly when you first start a small business 
to wear all of the hats. You have to embrace that, right? That you're capable of yeah. making all of those decisions. And that's, that's a key part of it. Exactly. I think that's a particular challenge for creative people, people with creative careers and backgrounds, because often what you've told yourself, or maybe it's true, oh, I only like to do with the creative stuff, right? I don't want to deal with the accounting or the collection or the, you know, marketing. I don't want, I'm not good at that, but you have to be in a small business like your, like yours, right? Exactly. And that's one thing we've really found through working together is just continually defining our roles. Like I do like a lot of the accounting and bookkeeping and kind of the not fun business type stuff, but I actually do really enjoy it and it has to be done. Whereas Josiah is really more of the the creative brain. Um, so we've kind of been continually defining those roles because you do have to do it all. And it's kind of depends on who actually enjoys it more and who's better at it. And uh, so yeah, it's been a continual evolution. Yeah. And eventually you'll outsource those things or you'll hire someone to do those things. But initially we have to do it all. All right. So you started to touch on how you guys complement each other. What were, did you have any fears going into it, either of you about how it was going to be working closely together, owning a business, a two man shop, a two well, man and woman shop. Did you have any fears going into that? Uh, I think initially, I wouldn't say fear, but, uh, you know, it, it's something that uh, people talk about all the time and you do hear horror stories and we had certainly heard our fair share. But uh, I think for Meg and I, you know, we were so confident in our marriage already at that point. And obviously we had been together for a while and, you know, our relationship was one of the easiest and most stable things in our life. And so I think, you know, we, we wanted to discuss it seriously and make sure we were ready for it. But uh, I think as far as really being, uh, you know, afraid of it, I, I don't think we were ever truly uh, afraid to, to do this together because we just thought, all right, we're, we're complete and equal partners in life already. And so it just made sense to extend that to business partners. Ah, young love. That's so beautiful. <laughs> Meg, yeah. what about from your perspective? Check in with us in about five years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Meg, what yeah. was your perspective going into it? Um, you know, kind of the same thing, but, I, you know, we've talked about it a lot. We wouldn't want to be doing this with anyone else. Uh, you know, we both get to have, work with someone who, you know, has your back and supports you and supports what you're doing. And I think really the biggest thing for us is that we're building something together for mm. our future. And that's really what I think drives us ultimately. You know, you can have financial success or personal success and from a business standpoint, but really we're building something. And I think that's what matters the most yeah. to us. Yeah. I love that. And I was laughing earlier, just, you know, kidding, but I, I think it's, yeah. it's wonderful. I got to think that one of the things that made your relationship and does make your relationship and your business relationship strong is the communication. I've found that for it to work well with couples or with a sibling in business that you have to over communicate, especially upfront mm -hmm. as to, in particular, the delineation of roles. Uh, tell me about those conversations and did you guys have them or was it just a natural thing? Uh, talk, tell me about your experience there. Yeah, it's, it's something that we, you know, as uh, we were sure that we wanted to do it, but of course, once you're actually uh, doing the thing, you know, you kind of realize what you have to work out. And so, it was part kind of initially figuring out, all right, I think that, you know, I'm definitely more comfortable on the creative side, you know, like we've been talking about, that was definitely true for me. Uh, but Meg is the, the business mind, you know, she is the minutia manager. She loves the details organization. So 
that was kind of decided naturally. Uh, but then, you know, there was a bit of figuring out, well, exactly what that looks like. And then beyond that, how do we actually work together and make that work for our clients? So there was definitely a little bit of process to figure out just, you know, if I'm handling the creative and then she's kind of handling the clients, what does that look like? How do we bounce things back and forth? Uh, and so there's, uh, you know, it didn't take too long though for the, the synergy to start to happen. Thankfully, we are both designers and we do both have experience working with clients and handling everything. Uh, so, you know, there was a little bit of organic there, but, uh, definitely figuring out some process based on our personalities. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing those stories and those insights. Let's, uh, let's dive into it now on logo design. Logo design is just one of the things that you guys do, but it's a particular interest to me because it's, you know, it, it's such a common topic and something that we all deal with as small business owners, either as we're planning and uh, designing our business or even as existing business owners as we revisit the logo that we may have or we may not have a logo. Um, let me start by this question. Why do I need a logo as a small business owner or a solopreneur? Uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, this is uh, something that obviously we're super passionate about. But yeah, some a small business owner is going to have that question. So, uh, but you know, uh, a logo translates your business into a singular visual representation of who your company is and what it represents. And so, you know, uh, but also on a fundamental level, you know, the logo's main job is to be an identifier of your company. Uh, so without it, you're a little bit less recognizable. Mm -hmm. Do you ever sometimes suggest for small business owners that they get started and then come back to logo design? So in our professional opinion, we always recommend going ahead and creating a logo when you start your business. Um, so like we talked about, your logo is the identifier of your business. So without it, that's just one, one more way you're not standing out from your competition and aren't going ahead and defining who you are as a business. So we consider it to be really important to go ahead and, and make that part of your initial starting of the business. Yeah. yeah. And that makes sense, Meg. I can't disagree with that. The only thing I'm thinking sometimes is I see especially if you're taking an iterative approach to your business or an MVP approach where you might well have a significant pivot at some point in the near future. I just wonder sometimes if putting in all the effort and time of designing one and then you're going to end up changing it or is in your thought that you'll just rebrand later. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah, definitely. And there are considerations like that. And, you know, I would probably tell someone who is taking an iterative approach to, maybe keep it simple if they are really planning a, a drastic change, you know, if that is kind of a, a concrete plan where you are building. But, um, you know, also you do have to think long-term because a, a full-on rebrand is probably going to cost you a lot of money down the line and, mm -hmm. and change some things. And so, you know, we obviously try to urge people to, uh, you know, think long-term because uh, that's really where a, a logo gains value is, is in recognition over time. So that's kind of a, really the only way that it can gain value is to have that time with an audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. This is Henry Lopez. Let's take a quick pause on this episode to chat about your small business dreams. Do you have a great business idea, but have just not been able to get it launched? Have you built a successful corporate career, but need some help making the transition to entrepreneurship? Are you ready to start building your own wealth instead of someone else's? I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. Just text BizCoach, altogether BizCoach, to 31996 for more information. 
I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business dreams and goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to launch our first business. As an experienced entrepreneur who also made the difficult transition from the corporate world, I understand the challenges you're facing and often it's about helping you ask the right questions so that you can make progress towards achieving your goals. I can help you through your transition to becoming your own boss. To find out more or to schedule your free coaching session, just text BizCoach to 31996 now. That's B-I-Z-C-O-A-C-H, BizCoach, to 31996. Or visit thehowabusiness.com. All right, let's let's break it down a bit. What, in your opinion, are some of the key components that make for an effective logo? Yeah, so we we kind of uh, go to really three three main factors, and that's simplicity, memorability, and relevance. Uh, you know, simplicity. Obviously, you're you're trying to communicate fast, right? It's a, a crowded, busy world, uh, and so the simpler it is, the faster people are going to be able to recognize it. Also, you have a lot of considerations these days, like how does it appear digitally in very small spaces uh, in, in a lot of different uh, mediums. Uh, memorability is, is probably the, the biggest factor, obviously. Uh, you know, that's what a logo's job is, is to, to, to be something easier to remember than maybe even your name or, or exactly what your business does. So it's gotta be memorable. And then relevant uh, in terms of, you know, does it accurately represent what your company does? You mentioned people maybe planning to, to change or pivot. Uh, and so that is uh, a reason why that stuff does happen is because it needs to be relevant to your company and, and where you're headed. Okay, great. Let, let's dive into all three of those then because I have questions on each of them. Simplicity, as you explained very well, is, is how, how easily or quickly it communicates what I'm trying to communicate yeah. um, visually, obviously. And I think it touches on the point you mentioned, how does it render is something I always look at. I see such terrible mistakes with logos. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, you know, you see it on a shirt or you see it on a physical building and it just, it's horrible, right? Um, oh, yeah. So do you usually take that approach of, I usually ask, where will this logo primarily appear? In other words, where will it, where will it serve its primary purpose? Is it on the side of a building? Is it on in print? Is it on a website page? Uh, do you usually take that path and kind of helping determine or influence this is why we need to change this particular design you have? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, that's, that's definitely, we, we try to get a list of, you know, all the applications that you're thinking about, but also there's just design thinking that will, uh, you know, really make this logo ready for anything that you throw at it. That's why simplicity is the ultimate goal is so that you can put it on the side of a building or the side of a pen uh, and it doesn't break down and it, it communi- it's legible, it communicates effectively. And so there's definitely certain applications um, where you need to, to really think about that. You see that with a lot of rebrands, people are adjusting for digital space. Re- refreshing their logos to work better uh, on websites, um, you know, social media profiles and avatars have been a big consideration lately in logo design. Do you have a symbol or a tight enough logo uh, that it can fit there? And so really there, there are definitely certain times where there's certain applications that you're thinking about, uh, but also if you are able to achieve a, a real level of simplicity um, that kind of makes the logo prepared for anything, that's, that's really the ultimate goal. 
Mm -hmm. You touched on something there that I, I tend to lean towards uh, as we've designed logos for our different businesses is that I like logos that part, there's a component of the logo. I call it an icon. I think you referred to it as a symbol mm -hmm. example for our yogurt, frozen yogurt shop uh, called I top it. Mm -hmm. Oh, the O is a little character. It's a little smiley face and he has, you know, a little hat on him kind of thing. Yeah. And we'll use that icon separately. Sometimes uh, we're appropriate for branding. What are your thoughts on that approach? Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly why you design a, a an icon, a symbol, right? And typically you have a, a word mark or a logo type as well, which is your actual name. And, and those things together is your, your logo signature. Uh, but yeah, that's, you know, typically we are trying to develop exactly that setup for a lot of our clients with something smaller that they can break off. Uh, and then it's a little bit more versatile for you. It works in places that a full name doesn't. So that's a fantastic approach and one that we take with almost every logo design that we do. What about color and how important the use of color is? Yeah, so I would say, especially this day and age, um, there's not any like bad colors or good colors. There's not necessarily, colors aren't necessarily better than any others. It really just depends on what your business is and what your industry is in particular. One thing that we really try to look at when we're designing a logo is, you know, what are your competitors doing? Um, we look at what are your top competitors? What colors are they using? You know, what's going to help you stand out? Um, because if it's a sea of orange or it's a sea of green, you know, you don't want to be just another predominantly green logo. Um, so that's definitely something we look at in terms of color. But um, yeah, I think especially this day and age with the production capabilities we have now, um, color is kind of a, an open range. Okay, but but Meg, I always thought with color, you know, my early on little bit of training in art is that there were these, you know, supposed colors that are bigger, like red, uh, you can see it better and yellow, maybe not as good. And doesn't it also come to, to the earlier point about where it's going to be rendered? There are some colors that are better than others on a building sign. Is that not true anymore? No, I would say that's still definitely true. I think legibility is the biggest concern, especially okay. in terms of production. Mm -hmm. um, and, that, and that's really where simplicity comes back into play. If there's too much going on or if it's hard to read or too complex, um, you know, brand recognition and identification definitely needs to be king. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Um, and of course, nowadays with, with physical signage and LEDs, we really can do a lot more because those signs are brighter and a lot easier to see, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you do kind of, you know, there's, uh, uh, if you're working with the right vendors, there's an artistry to the production side of things too. And so there are some, some basics of contrast that, you, you know, you've learned in your color theory classes and you still hold, hold true to, but uh, yeah, production uh, plays a big part of it. And so, uh, yeah, there, there's definitely, um, you know, some basic considerations to make, but there's a lot of ways to make things work these days. All right. So we've talked about simplicity, memorability, and then relevance. Does that also tie to the, what I call the congruency such that your, your logo, the colors, the design, especially if you have a brick and mortar location, then matches what I find inside of there. Talk to me about the importance of that. That's more, you know, overall brand identity, but how does the logo yeah. need to play off of that? Well, absolutely. And that's a big part of what we do as well. Uh, in addition to, to logo design is the full brand identity. And so, 
that is often, you know, typically we start with the logo because that's kind of the natural progression, but then you do have to expand it into a full identity. And, uh, you know, like you said, something on the outside and you get an impression of it, you want that to match on the inside so that you feel like those things line up because, you know, a brand identity is all about building loyalty and loyalty comes from trust. Trust comes from consistency. And so if your your logo looks one way and kind of puts out uh, certain uh, assumptions and then, you know, your actual business is completely different or doesn't match up, you know, people might not understand exactly what's going on, but they might know that, well, something's not right here. This looks different. Is this the same business? Uh, you know, it's why rebrands are such a, uh, you know, a major consideration and why a ton of media typically goes into them, right? Is because you are dealing with that trust factor of, does this make sense? Is this the same company? Is this the same experience product? Uh, so definitely there's an importance to, to being uh, consistent. What about taglines? What are y'all's thoughts on using taglines? Um, so taglines can definitely add value, especially in recognition and memorability. Um, and I think also, if, especially if you're in a line of business that is hard to explain or just in an industry that may, many people don't know about, it can definitely add more clarity and just be more of a descriptive um, help to your business. Yeah, and, and I've gotten feedback before on, you know, the advantages or disadvantages of using, I think you guys refer to it as inventory taglines. So, for example, going back to the yogurt shop, continuing with that example, our initial logo hasn't changed, but we've changed the tagline. The tagline originally was yogurt toppings fun. So it was trying to help you understand what mm -hmm. this thing I top it was, especially because we were first in our market with self-serve frozen yogurt. People didn't know what this was, right? Mm -hmm. We have since changed it. So our rebranding was we changed the tagline to um, self-serve frozen desserts because we've broadened beyond yogurt and then people understand now what self-serve frozen desserts means, right? Sure. Um, but so, so your thoughts there on how to use a tagline, I see a lot of, for example, in, in the larger organizations, corporate world, taglines that to me are like, that, that doesn't really tell me anything. But they're trying to communicate more of a, of a feeling or an experience. So yeah. what do I do as a small business owner there that's more applicable to a small business? Well, I think, you know, you, you kind of uh, described a, a great progression of, you know, really uh, the, the first tagline was kind of really about necessity of communicating, uh, you know, exactly what this is. And, and you do see that a lot with kind of the, the this, that, the other tagline approach. Um, and honestly, I, I don't think that's a bad way to go for when you're just starting, because if you are, if nobody knows who you are and you need a tagline to communicate, you probably don't want to go too lofty with it, right? Because then that's not going to serve its purpose. And also, like you mentioned, uh, you know, a tagline versus the entire logo, the entire identity, that is a great piece that can evolve with you and with the business. So, you know, my advice to, to anybody just starting out would be if you're really concerned about somebody understanding what your business does, go for clarity uh, versus, uh, you know, feeling. That's something that you mm -hmm. could, uh, you know, if you start out with that, it's probably going to be a longer path to recognition. Um, but uh, so, you know, I would say go for clarity. 
Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, the other thing is what's becoming harder and harder for small business owners is all of the obvious names in just about every industry are taken, right? Yes, there's not so, a lot of name, good short names left or exactly. URLs, yeah. Exactly. So so we got to go often with a an obscure name. So again, if we take the example of Nike, now that they've built a brand, I know what Nike offers. And exactly. they can get away with a tagline that's just do it. But if I had just started my business, Nike, just do it. It'd be like, well, what the heck is that? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then you're with Nike, you're dealing with a lot of things there, right? With just do it uh, comes years of marketing campaigns. That's right. Uh, successfully integrating that and and tying that recognition to the brand, to athleticism, sports achievement in general. So there's a lot of work that goes into, uh, you know, making something identifiable eventually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no doubt. All right. We, you, we've touched on, all right. So we, we, we covered simplicity, memorability, and, and the relevance, and we've explored those. Um, at a high level, walk me through, at very high level, the process that you walk somebody through, and you've touched on some of these things, to help them design a logo? Yeah, so we have a general three-step process, which is discovery, design, and delivery. And we start with the discovery phase, which really just involves finding out more about you as the client, your company, your goals, hopes, dreams, <laughs> uh, just kind of everything as uh, thoroughly as we can in order to know how to represent your business accurately through design. Um, and then from there, we go move into the design phase. Um, that includes mood boards to just really establish the overall visual direction um, before moving into actually designing the logo concepts, revisions, that kind of thing. Um, and then lastly, just moving into the delivery phase. And this is where we really finalize the design, package up the files, and also show you how to use them as well. So yeah, that three-step process of discovery, design, and delivery. That's great. And, and what what work do you usually recommend that a, that a client does ahead of time that I, as a small business owner, I'm planning to open a business, I need a logo design. What, what should I be thinking about? What things should I have thought through that help then the designer pick mm -hmm. it up and help me through this process that you described? You know, I think just knowing your business, especially when you are just starting a business or new to business, really knowing your audience and what your overall goals goals are. Um, you know, that sounds like a basic thing, but you'd be surprised at uh, how many people don't or it's just such a big topic that um, really knowing what you want to get out of it and being prepared for change as well, especially with like a rebrand. Um, you know, change is scary, but it's necessary for growth. So I would say really just knowing your business and, and being prepared to, to take this project on and be ready for change. Yeah. And I got to think also that what you walk through them there is that the tone that I want to communicate with that brand that goes back to the congruency with the business, right? Yeah. That's definitely where the, the mood board phase comes into it because, you know, there's kind of infinite options uh, when you're, you're sitting down to, to design anything, especially something brand new. And so, that's where that phase is, is really important uh, in the design phase is because that's where you establish with the client, you know, all right, this is where we think we should go. But you're also balancing that with what do you like? What are you going to actually be, be proud to show? And, and what are you uh, going to have? What do you think is going to accurately represent you? So it's where we kind of approach it from the strategy side again, but it's also a great place for the client to have that input of 
this is what I actually want my identity to look like. And that's kind of the fusion of those two points, which makes the, the rest of designing the identity a whole lot easier. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Obviously, nowadays I have as a small business owner or if I'm, I'm, I'm developing my business, I've got crowdsourcing sites. I've got mm-hmm. online freelancers that'll do it for five bucks. <laughs> I mean, I'm exaggerating, but you know this well. You're, you're what, not. <laughs> I'm not exactly. What, uh, what are your thoughts on um, when maybe I should consider going that way and when I should not? And, and of course, it's an opportunity for you to tell me what, what I'm not going to get uh, versus going with a design firm like yourself. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would say, uh, you know, you, you need a designer when you're ready for a partner. That's, that's really the biggest difference, right? Uh, uh, because with the training, the knowledge, uh, you know, a partner is going to help you accomplish the things that you can't do on your own and actually solve problems, right? And so that's not something you're going to get from a crowdsourcing site is, is that real strategic partner uh, is a collaborator, not just an order taker. And I, I don't say that to, you know, truly disparage anybody on a, a crowdsourcing site. But, you know, in that environment, uh, a business owner comes to the table and maybe gives you three bullet points of what they want. And uh, there's not an opportunity to really work through that or as a designer say, okay, but, you know, let's look at your competition. Let's talk about if that's actually accurate. You know, they're just coming to the table with what they think, uh, but they're not getting the insight of, of what a designer knows. And then the, the true collaborative process of the harder work of getting to know your business and the strategy side before you even start designing. Yeah, that's, that's, that makes a lot of sense, especially the partner component of it. Just like when we're developing a business, we bring in an architect and we bring in financial help and we bring in mm-hmm. whatever, that, that identity definition, uh, you bring in an expert to help you with that. Um, an approach that I've taken, I want your thoughts on this, and we'll, we'll continue with iTopit as an example. What we did with that logo is we started with crowdsourcing. We went on 99designs. And the reason our thinking there was, I want to get lots of ideas. And we got that. Right? We paid for the premium package, got lots of ideas. We, we kind of had a working version, and then we hired a designer to work with to fine-tune that, to make some changes and tweaks and get it to the final version. What, what are your thoughts on that approach? Well, you know, that's certainly one way to do it. Um, you know, one of the things, that is something that people do typically turn a crowdsourcing for is, is endless options, right? Right. Those um, different ideas, right? Because, because yeah. what my thinking was, yeah, I'm going to go to a good designer, but that person, even the two of you have your ideas. I wanted a broader input and that was the thinking there. Sure. Well, and that's one of the, the areas that, you know, we in a lot of different design studios uh, differ from that logic is because, you know, there's nothing wrong with generating a lot of ideas and depending on the client, we will typically uh, generate at least uh, three, but you know, in our opinion and the way we work, especially after getting to know you really putting the research and time in is that it's only one business. You're only one business. And then depending on your goals and, and how well you know, the, the, the business and, and your plans and, and how all that works, you know, we typically find that there are, are less options. The more upfront work we do and research and getting to know you, those mm-hmm. options actually narrow down. And so we found that, you know, really getting to know the business, you know, there's fewer uh, 
and, and more clear paths forward than just trying to generate uh, tons of ideas up front, but maybe that's not really necessary. Yeah. Okay. I'll buy that. And also I think it relates to the point that a lot of ideas can just lead to further confusion and paralysis. Yes. And, and related to that. logos. <laughs> well, that's a good point. Related to that, what are your thoughts on, even if, if it's just you who designs it, we have this tendency then to want to get opinions from our friends, our peers, others. And I can see from personal experience where sometimes that clouds the process and slows things down. And if I stop to think about what you've been talking about, those other people are, they don't understand the vision that I'm trying to yes. communicate, the business that I'm trying to build, right? So yes. do you recommend not doing that when you are working with a client? Yeah, I mean, typically that's not what happens and it wouldn't be what we would necessarily re recommend either because, you know, everyone's got an opinion, your Uncle Joe's got an opinion, your grandma's <laughs> got an opinion. And just like you said, not they don't know your business, they don't know what you're trying to accomplish, what your goals are, you know, through doing this. So we would really say try to steer you away from that. I think there's nothing wrong, um, you know, get, on getting feedback, but there is a point where, you know, how well do they know what you're trying to accomplish in order to know if this design is meeting those goals or not? Yeah. yeah. And if sense. Uncle Joe doesn't like blue, but you're a water <laughs> company, uh, that might not be appropriate feedback, right? That's right. That's right. All right. Great. Uh, what I want to summarize the topic here with your guts feel the the non-technical definition of when you see a logo and you say god i love that logo what what is it about it that makes mm -hmm. you say that mm -hmm. yeah i would you know just kind of thinking about some of the logos i enjoy the most uh, and as a designer but just also as a consumer um ones that are truly unique right that the the sweet spot to try to hit is that that couldn't get any simpler, but it also has enough distinguishing elements mm -hmm. that it makes it truly unique. And that is a very, very difficult spot to hit. That's one of the reasons it it's, is so hard, to, especially uh, with as many options as you already have out there. And so I would say when you see something that, you know, is really striking visually, you know, f formally, it's just well, well executed. Uh, but also, you know, if it really communicates, uh, you know, I, I love breaking down logo concepts and the story and, and what does it mean? So some of my favorite logos are the ones that are really, really juicy conceptually. So I would say, you know, the formal qualities of the logo based on, and also just like you said, that gut feeling, is it communicating to me? Does it communicate meaning and, and uniqueness? Yeah. I love that. What would you add to that, Meg? Yeah. Kind of along the same lines. I think when you see something and it just kind of hits you the right way. And, and usually that does mean something that is so simple that you look at it and you understand it right away. Um, and it, that's what makes it more memorable too, you know, that you will think back to it and it'll stick out in your mind if it's something that is simple, but complex enough where like Josiah was saying, it has that meaning. Um, I think that's what really helps it stand out and yeah, be memorable. Yeah, I love that. That makes sense. I agree with that as well from my perspective. It's I like logos that have a little bit of cleverness in them, but they don't get too too carried away with that. Mm -hmm. But like you say, they communicate that, especially if it communicates a, a feeling or an experience, right? Well, and just to add another uh, point on top of that, which kind of ties it back to the crowdsourcing element, is some of our most successful designs have come from that really deep collaboration with the client up front that we're talking and getting to know them and maybe there's just one little nugget 
in a three hour conversation that we've had or, you know, six hours over the course of a couple of days that that really was completely influential in finding, okay, there's something about either your perspective or some piece of company history that that is that truly unique element. That is that conceptual element. And so, you know, really uh, that's another thing that you don't get from just kind of the more general logos that you might get. A lot of ideas, sure, but, you know, our best work comes from when we're talking with the client and we just find that diamond in the rough that is that perfect inspiration and also that little bit of of uniqueness that we're going to tie into the logo and that's oftentimes what people are communicating about their logo yeah no that's well well said and going back to that point what i have found because i have used crowdsourcing for logo design a couple of different times if and, and to your point the more that i give them because i've done the work and i have a little bit of experience there mm-hmm. if i don't give them guidance than the, the, I call it the colder than of the results that I get. In other words, I get stuff back that obviously has no connection to what I'm really trying to express with this business or this logo, right? Absolutely. All right. Um, We've touched on it, but summarize for us the services that you offer your clients. So at Mothershed Design Company, we work with uh, small businesses to help them achieve their goals through strategic design. Uh, We specialize in branding and identity design, um, and we help businesses with brand strategy, logo design, website design, print and digital, illustration, and copywriting as well. And, you know, really, we believe in being curious, thoughtful, and highly conceptual. And how does somebody who's interested engage with you initially? Do you do a consultation? How do you usually handle that? Yeah, so generally we will either meet in person if possible or definitely jump on a phone call just so that we can get to know them. They can get to know a little bit about us and we can find if we're a good fit for one another. You guys have clients nationwide, is that right? We do. Um, A lot of it is focused in Colorado, certainly, but we do work remotely as well and have clients kind of scattered throughout the country. Okay, perfect. All right, book recommendation. Is there a book that you would recommend to us? Yeah, so uh, one of my favorite books, one that I think would be very useful uh, for your audience is called The Brand Gap. Uh, it's by Marty Neumeyer. Uh, it's a, a, sh- a short book, a small book. It's not a heavy read, uh, but for, for designers and, and, and branding, um, it's a, a way to understand more of the business side of things. And so it, the book name is all about bridging the gap between uh, brand strategy, design strategy, and business goals. And so uh, for a designer, it's really helpful for me to see how, you know, what we're offering needs to link up to a business owner's overall goals. And so I think it could work the opposite way also in that a business owner could, I think, start to understand the, the higher level concepts of branding and what it can do for your business. Uh, so that would be one that I would definitely recommend. It'd, it'd be a quick read and, and I think it'd be very beneficial. Great, thank you. Thanks for that recommendation. We'll have a link to that one on the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com. Awesome. All right, we'll wrap it up with these last two questions. What's one thing uh, related to this conversation about logos, logo design for a small business owner? What's one thing you want us to take away from it? I think really just hoping that listeners can really understand the value in an effective logo design and, you know, not just viewing it as a commodity or just something that you have to do, but as a really integral part of their business, just really understanding that value. Anything you would add to that, Josiah? Uh, yeah, and just, you know, and obviously the the difference that a designer can make, you know, um, we we get a lot of feedback from our, our clients uh, about how helpful it was just to, 
to actually have that helping hand, that collaborator. And so that's ultimately going to lead to a more effective design in the end as well. So it's really, you know, hopefully if they can understand the process, trust in a, a professional and a designer and, you know, really the, the work and the relationship is, is more fruitful uh, with, with both of those things. Great. Where do you want us to go online to learn more? Um, you can take a look at our work at mothershedesign.com. Perfect. We'll have a link to that as well on the show notes page. Meg and Josiah, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for indulging all of my questions. Great insight, great uh, practical tips. So thanks for being with me on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was, it was really fun and happy to talk about this anytime. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for being with us. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guests today, again, were Meg and Josiah Mothershed. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or at our website, thehowabusiness.com. You can also text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to receive more information. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.